Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. America's Angriest Trainer Vinny Tortorich is back, and this time he is really here to tell you how to fix, his, fix your metabolism, and we will talk about this today. Vinny is the author of his personal fitness memoir, Fitness Confidential. It's a great book. I listened to it on Audible. And he has a very popular podcast called The Angriest Trainer. Vinny, hello and welcome back. About that Title IX thing, can we can we go no. back to that again? Yes. I had no idea. You know, isn't it amazing that athletes can get stuck on some geeky subject like Title IX and just talk about it for an hour? You did this on purpose. <laughs> I wanted to see if we could go another hour with it. You just like talking with me, I think. I'm in love with you, to be honest with you. Because I sit here and look at this picture of you with the big smile on your face and the whole thing. I go, wow, look at her. And she's smart. Yeah, but I don't know how smart I am because this is our number four interview and I'm still trying to wrangle out of you how to fix the metabolism. Okay, you ready? Here's the answer. Okay. You can't fix it. What? There what you, you, you have it. You can't fix the metabolism. Say more. Okay. Actually, that whole idea that your metabolism is broken is it, that that falls short on me. You know, I hate when people go, "Oh, my my metabolism is broken." Well, in a sense, it is, but it's not. And to say that you have to fix it is is you know, it it, it reeks of of diet to me. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yep. Um, you know, everybody, you know, we live in a world where we always want to know how to make everything right, right now. With a blueprint. Yeah. It's like, tell me how to fix my metabolism. Think about the absurdity of that statement. And you're not the only one making that statement, but everyone talks about fixing a metabolism. Well, what if it's not broken? Mm-hmm. What, what are you actually fixing? You know, we, we're again, it's the blame game. It can't be me who got fat. It must be my metabolism and it must be broken. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. So what are we actually fixing? What, what am I supposed to fix? When, you know, and by the way, I'm going to tell you folks, just hang with me for a few minutes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to correct your diet so that you can start losing weight. I'm guessing that's what you want to learn here, right? I think you've got that. Okay, but... You got to lose the, you know, because in this day and age, I still hear people say, just tell me how to lose 15 pounds. If you could tell me how to lose 15 pounds, then I can keep it off. No, you can't. Because if I teach you how to lose 15 pounds and then you go right back to what you were doing before, you're going to gain set 15 pounds right back and probably gain more. Um, I like using the example of uh, the show, The Biggest Loser. Um, it's very easy to pick on the show. I'm not going to pick on the people on the show. I actually feel sorry for those folks. Um, because number one, they have a problem They're Most of them are morbid, not most of them. I would say all of them are morbidly obese. I mean, it's the qualification for getting on the show, right? 
you have to be morbidly obese. So the show takes these people and they go, okay, the only way we can have a successful show is to take people and make them considerably smaller. If you didn't do that week in and week out, people wouldn't pay attention. Are you with me? Yes. No, it's, it's sexy. It, it's, it, it's like the NBC eyes of the Olympics. It, it's what gravitates us to it. Yeah. Let's take a come from behind. It, it, again, it, it's the sad music, you know, the come from behind story. <laughs> and um, that's what we do. You know, we take these people and they literally put them on starvation diets. I know this because I know people at that show and behind the scenes, they have doctors regimenting these people's diet. And of course, then we have Jillian Michaels and the other guy, and uh, they yell at people while they run on treadmills because, let's face it, that's what people want. When they're feeling really bad about themselves and they're morbidly obese and they're willing to take their clothes off and go on television and say, look, world, look how fat I am. Now I'm going to get on a treadmill and have Jillian Michaels yell at me for two hours. And we're supposed to think as an audience, oh, that's how you lose weight. You can sweat it off wrong. It doesn't happen that way. And then they lead us to believe that, well, if you don't eat enough calories, you will lose weight. Well, they're right. If you don't eat enough calories, you will lose weight. Unfortunately, that's not how you keep weight off. And if you want to talk about broken metabolism, you're really breaking the, metal the, 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 the metabolism now because you're teaching your body that hey, I'm going to run on less and less calories than I actually need. It becomes a calorie in, calorie out proposition. And your body is not meant to live that way. If you lose weight, calorie in, calorie out, and folks, you can lose a bazillion pounds like that. It's been proven over and over. They prove it on that show. Uh, Jenny Craig is based on that. Uh, weight Watchers is based on that. All of the popular diets are based on calorie in, calorie out. and if you, if you look at the, this isn't me speaking, you could just look at the results. If you look at the studies, what, what is it, like 3 to 5% of people ever keep the weight off for more than one year? That's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're going to consider that being a broken metabolism, right, that mm -hmm. you're now eating so few calories that if you eat anything, you'll get fat again, if you want to call that a broken metabolism, we could go with that for the moment. The question is, how do you fix that? How do you come around? How do you tell someone to eat more food to lose more weight? It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Well, hold on a second. So this, I, I love how it's taken the fourth interview for you to slam my, um, my topic for today. And as I've introduced it many times in previous shows that we never got to talk about, but, uh, I got the fixing the metabolism because I was listening when I was in Big Sky, I was listening to one of your interviews and you had said something and I was like, oh, that would be a great topic. But, and I understand where you're coming from where, you know, oh, the whole idea that, you know, the metabolism broken and that we're not really broken, right? So I get that part. But when we do this calories in, calories out, when we do this severe caloric restriction or we do a, you know, tremendous amount of exercise, which is still can be caloric restriction, don't at times, don't we change our metabolism to make it slower. No, really? no, it it just doesn't. It seems like it works that way, but it doesn't. Your body is, you know, our we're always searching to fill that void. We don't make it slower. We don't make our metabolism more efficient when we when we reduce our caloric intake. 
Well, you make it slower, but when you start taking in more calories, you're making it slower, which is not a good thing, you yeah, understand. That's not a good thing, yes. Oh, so you're agreeing with me on that? Yes. No, that's is that not what a- you're getting to? Because I thought you were saying, well, we'll make it slower. When you make your metabolism, yes, that's what that's exactly what happens. I, I misunderstood what you were trying to get at. Yes. <laughs> so when you restrict calories, your metabolism slows down because in times of famine, whenever man would walk the earth and we didn't have grocery stores and the whole thing, what would happen is in order to protect our brains from dying, we would slow down and use calories more efficiently. And that's when we would do more, you know, eating leaves and this kind of thing to get enough energy to go kill another animal to eat because we need fat and we need protein. We can't just live on leaves. Of course, vegans are going to say, he's way wrong. And I understand veganism. Vegans actually, as you know, love me Mm -hmm. because I tell people, yes, you can be vegans, just eat a lot more fat in your vegan diet. Mm-hmm. And they do, and they do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, when you when you uh, eat less food, you're going to slow your metabolism. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you start eating any kind of food, your metabolism picks back up again. Mm-hmm. Which is so, the, why why we have a 95% fail rate on diets. Oh, yeah. Easily. Mm-hmm. Easily 95%. But that's not the only reason. There's so much more conspiring there. You know, if if you take the other approach and stop me if I'm going off on a tangent, <laughs> bring me back in. But what happens is if you're eating more food, but you're eating the right food that's not going to cause you to get fat, your metabolism is going to stay much higher. You're going to become a fat-burning machine, if you will, okay? And you can start to lose weight even without ever exercising. As I've often said, exercise is a very poor way to lose weight. And folks, listen to what I'm saying. I'm a trainer. I make my money off of making people exercise. And I'm telling you, it's a very poor way to lose weight. But you're not saying that people shouldn't exercise. Oh, excuse me. I was drinking. Not vodka. I was drinking water. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What was the question again? I said, but you're not saying not to exercise. Oh, oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm going back to the uh, Good Samaritans Women's Symposium uh, later this month to to do another speech. And this year, it's all about exercise and why exercise is important. Uh, Our bodies were not meant to be sedentary. And folks, if you're sitting around at a computer all day long or sitting around watching television or sitting in a cubicle somewhere, get up and move. Your body was never meant to sit around. Yet, you don't have to go to a Zumba class unless that's something you want to do, or a spinning class, or a a CrossFit class to get in shape. Exercise can be as easy as walking out the door and taking a walk. Mm -hmm. There were studies done in the late 1960s and early 1970s where we found out that the lowest incident of heart uh, problems in this country were with housewives. And when you think about it, housewives are doing light exercise all day long. Mm -hmm. They're making beds. They're uh, putting laundry in a machine. They're folding laundry. They're moving all day. Light exercise all day is, is the best way to do it. So that's what you have to try to get to. It's that movement. Okay, so we've got that on the exercise. Now the metabolism bit. So not calories in, calories out, which can affect our metabolism. So what about the people who have done these calories in, calories out, 
caloric restriction, you know, diets and their metabolism is slower, what can they do about it? The quickest way to raise it is to start eating good fats. Start putting fat in your diet. And I know you say, oh, this guy's crazy, but finally after me preaching this for years and years and writing a book on it and doing everything else, <clears throat> it seems like uh, there's kind of a, a tie change uh, where we now have people, you know, last I think it was this past Monday, a professor from my, my college, the school I went to, Tulane University, it was in the, the New York Times, was finally saying, hey, eat fat. Fat is good for you. We did a study. The more the people who ate the higher fat versus the high carb diet lost 12 pounds, where the other people only lost four. You know, it's being proven over and over and over again. Uh, I think uh, Time Magazine had a thing about eating saturated fats as being a good thing. So scientists are finally coming on board to say that this is a good thing. And if you eat more fat, you're going to raise your metabolism. Your body tends not to store fat unless you take in way too much of it. Mm-hmm. And you tend not to take in way too much of it because you become sated and you stop eating. The exact opposite happens if you're having a carbohydrate. Um, uh, the example I like to use is, let's say, Corinne, you went out and bought yourself a family bag of Doritos, uh-huh. right? <laughs> Do you know how much Doritos are in that bag? No. Almost 17 ounces, just over one pound of Doritos. Now, let's say your husband and yourself, or maybe just yourself, were sitting down one day and you were watching... I don't know, breaking bad. And you bring that one pound bag of Doritos with you. And you tell yourself, I'm just going to eat a few. So about halfway into breaking bad, you open up the the, the, uh, the hermetically sealed bag and you, you, you pull a few out and you start eating. What happens to you? You keep eating. You never stop. Why? Well, one, you're not paying attention, so you're numb. And then two, you never get full. You just get hungry. Why? Um, I'll give you the answer. Why? Okay, thank you for asking. Because once you start eating that grain, once it hits your mouth, all it has to do is hit hit your mouth one time. Your body starts to release release, uh, Mm -hmm. insulin. And serotonin. Serotonin, ghrelin leptin, all kinds of hormones that conspire you to make, to eat another and another and another and another, and you can't stop. As soon as it hits your mouth, you're done. How many times, and be honest, you finished a whole pound bag of Doritos? Vinny, I was a swimmer. I would eat a whole Domino's pizza. <laughs> okay. What happens when you're done with that? Aren't you looking for something else to eat? Oh, yeah. Then you'd go onto the ice cream or whatever. Yes. Yes, you just you will eating. start. You will start eating like the decorative icing if you had no other sugar in your house. So I have a story I'm going to share with you. I tell this to all my weight loss clients. Sure. Um, <clears throat> years ago, my father in law lived with us, and we have this uh, bakery in town. And he'd go to the farmers market, and he'd get the sourdough baguette, you know, one of those long things. And he'd sure. bring it home, and I'd go to the gym, and I'd work out, and I'd come back. And this is when I had a very transactional mindset. I was like, well, I worked out, so I could eat, right? which I don't know what I was thinking. But anyways, so I'd sit down and I'd eat this bread and I'd do olive oil and I was guiltily eating the olive oil with the bread 
which probably now looking at it was much better that I did eat the olive oil. But I would eat this thing. And then in my mind, my mind would say, oh, but you have to eat it all because if you don't, there won't be enough for you. And then, you know, other people will eat it. And again, remember, the other people are the family in my house that I love so much. Right. And, but I was in this deprivation mindset. And I was like, oh, well, if I save it for tomorrow and if it, if it even lasts through the day, then it's not going to be as taste as good. Right. In the meantime, I'm not tasting any of this stuff because I'm like halfway through this baguette. And then by the time I'm two thirds of the way done, I'm already knowing that I'm going to have a crash. So what do I do? I go in and I grab a Diet Pepsi because I need something to perk me up. And then now it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. I've eaten the whole baguette and I feel like crap. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'm so exhausted. Maybe this is just what happens when you turn 30. You're just really exhausted. (laughs) Can I ask a question about the baguette? Yes. Why is it every time you watch a movie and, you know, the single chick goes back to her apartment and she's got the grocery bag and there's always the baguette hanging out. <laughs> well, it's either the baguette or it's the ice cream. It's the serotonin. You know, it's always like, oh, we have to prove that she's been to the grocery store. How often have you walked into your house with a baguette hanging out of the, the bag? Except for that when your grandfather or your My whatever. My father-in-law? Went. Yeah. Um, I, well, I don't really buy baguettes anymore, so. But you never see people walking down the street with the, the bread hanging out of the top of the bag, do you? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you I do? used to buy when I used to buy sourdough baguettes all the time. I, I thought it was only in movies. <laughs> now let me go back and and uh, explain to you and the audience what was happening. Remember, I was talking about insulin and leptin and ghrelin. Okay, what the insulin does, and by the way, they all do a bunch of things, but what the insulin does is it causes you, you know, it, it's got to go, it's got to go cover the the grains, the sugar that's hitting your liver right? It regulates everything amongst other things. So while it's regulating, it's saying, okay, and I'm going to give this in cartoon terms. Okay, here's what's happening right now. She's given me way more carbohydrates than I really need. So I'm going to take some of this and make sure that the levels in her blood are topped off. Oh, look, they're already topped off because she had some bread or she had, uh, uh, what, uh, Pancakes for breakfast. So they're already topped off. You know, your blood needs very little sugar to be topped off. So now you have all of this in your system. And, you you know, because our we try to preserve ourselves, our bodies try to preserve us, we have to put it somewhere else. And where it goes is our bodies turn that sugar into a long-chain triglyceride and stores it in our fat cells as a fat. So from the bread, we get fat. If, if you were ever wondering why we get fat from bread or from corn chips or any other kind of processed grain, okay? The other thing that happens is the ghrelin, it conspires to make you feel hungry. You ever go out for an Asian meal and you, you get in the car and you can eat another Asian meal? I don't. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you don't get that full satisfied. I get Yeah, that. you're like, oh, I can eat again. That's the ghrelin. Even though you have a stomach full of food, it's telling you, Survive, survive, eat more. You didn't get any meat. You need to get meat in. Eat more. That's what's happening. And then the leptin is kind of like the um, the uh, insulin also. It conspires to make you fat. It's all there conspiring to get you to hang on to fat for a later later use. That, that's the only reason it all exists. Does that make sense? It makes sense. 
Okay. So we just learned that you and me and everyone else can sit down with a family bag of Doritos over one pound of chips and just empty that bag and then go look for something else to eat. We agree on that, correct? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your favorite steakhouse. What do you like? Do you like Morton's? Do you like Ruth Chris? Where do you go? Well, I remember, I live in Davis, so the, my favorite steakhouse is Buckhorn's in Winters. Okay. What kind of steak do you like? The pepper steak, and it has butter on it. Ooh, sounds good. How big is it? Uh, it's, I, it's not that big. It's not a huge steak. I don't know. I don't know how big it is, but it's not that. Eight ounces? Probably, six it's ounces? probably like eight to ten ounces in a steakhouse. You know how they put that? So something sure. like that. Let's say they made it 16 ounces. <laughs> okay. And you sat there and somehow, some way, God willing, you finished that entire steak. You gutted it down. You said, I'm going to finish it for God in my country right now. If they came out with another steak, sizzling hot, saying, Corinne, here you go. Could you eat it? Nope. Why not? I'd be too full. Too full. A week later, you would still be too full. Correct? <laughs> yeah. And what people think and what some people will tell you, oh, the steak takes three days to digest. No, it doesn't. Your body digests that steak pretty fast. Oh, I'm full. I was full all day. I, I, I ate a meal that had protein and fat. It took me all day to digest it. You feel that way, but that's not exactly what's happening. You feel sated because you had what you were supposed to eat. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. And if that's the case you're now fixing your metabolism. The thing that wasn't broken to begin with. So when you're, so are you hungry that often? No, no, I'm not. Um, this morning, um, we were literally out of eggs this morning. Uh-oh. And I have eggs every morning. How this happened, I don't know. But there will be hell to pay later on in this house. Trust me, I won't do anything. <clears throat> I had um, I took my blender when I noticed that all the eggs were gone. I took my blender, my my Vitamix. I put some berries in there, some frozen berries. I put some high fat yogurt in there. I added in some uh, coconut oil to give me more fat. I put in some raw almonds and I put in some raw walnuts, and I grinded it up. You know, I put I added a little water to make it you know you know soupy. I grinded it up, and that was my breakfast at five fifteen this morning. It is now 118. I've not eaten yet. Now, would I have eaten by now? Yes, but I haven't eaten yet. So you tell me. So, you know, and I think about, um, you know, at one point, I mean, there's all these different fads, but at one point it was like, you know, eat three meals and two, two snacks. And when you're eating carbohydrates, you do have to eat a lot more frequently, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, if I tell people, wake up and eat the biggest, you know, plate of pancakes you can eat. Just eat the big giant plate of pancakes. And once you finish them, it, let's say you ate those at six in the morning. I promise you, promise you, promise you by 10 o'clock, you will be famished. You, 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 you want to eat your fingers off. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have two or three eggs and maybe a piece of bacon, you might forget to have lunch. Now, this won't happen on day one. But if you do it for a couple of days or a week or so, you will start feeling, oh, my God, I feel better. I have more energy. I feel like, you know, some people feel sluggish all morning. 
um, once they do this sort of thing, they feel like they have tons of energy. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're buying a product or anything or, or taking in extra coffee. You know, this is just by eating correctly. Well, it goes back to why I was drinking the diet soda, right? Because I was starting to crash. And so, you know, that that's why I would find other things to help me get through when I would eat these things. And when you don't eat that way, you don't need those other things to raise you up. So, Are you still having diet sodas? No, no. <laughs> I, I can't think of a worse thing. You know, we, we have the thing about cigarettes, oh, secondhand smoke, cigarettes, this. You know, I can't think of anything worse than a diet soda. I agree with you. To put in your body. I agree with you. You know, I hear these parents all the time going, my kid will never drink. I told my kids never to have alcohol. Uh, I, I see little Johnny over there with a, with a Diet Coke. You're not concerned at all? At all? That's going through little Johnny's liver. You're not concerned. Okay, good luck. We'll, we'll see what happens with my 14-year-old. But a, year, a couple years ago, she just made a declaration. This was totally on her own. Um, it's better not to tell my kids what to do because they'll just rebel. But um, she said, you know, I'm just not even going to start the whole Coke thing because if I do... Then and I like it, then it's going to be harder. And so I'm just not even going to start it. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit, that was pretty brilliant her, of her mind of herself. So, um, okay. So, you know, your whole thing is no grains, no sugars. But, and we've talked about this before. So, but I want to know how did you learn about eliminating sugars? Because um, prior to leukemia, you still consumed a great deal of sugars, like when you were training and stuff, didn't you? Yeah, actually, you know, going back to Tulane, it started back then. Um, you know, I was uh, one of the few football players that, you know, was in physical education, which means that Tulane put me in, Tulane's a medical school. It's a big research university. And, you know, they had to put me in with all the pre-med kids. And all I ever cared about was learning about the human body. So going to class for me was like, Every day was like watching my favorite TV show. I just loved learning about the body. Every other kid was just there to get an A so that they can go on to medical school. I was there because I was, you know, I was there on the football scholarship and I was just having a great time going to class. And I'll never forget being in a uh, biology class. Um, might have been a, I could have been a kinesiology class. We were talking about uh, what the body prefers. And uh, the professor said, the body prefers fat. You know, the body wants to live on fat. We need fat to live. And by the way, we're talking in the 1980s. Right? Weight wasn't really a problem yet in the United States. <clears throat> and so a very young Vinny wrote down on a piece of paper, okay, I need fats to live, and, and my body's preferred fuel is fat. Okay, got it. And then the professor goes on a couple of days later to talk about, um, you know, carbohydrates and how they burn really fast in your system and how, you know, if you want to run really fast and really far, you have to take in tons of, you need to overload these carbohydrates. You need to, you know, you need to get in tons of them. So a very young Vinny would raise his hand and go, "Um, sorry, but um, I have written on a piece of paper from the other day that you said that my body prefers to run on fat. And then everybody in the class would go, here we go again. 
And then the professor would have to roll his eyes and go, okay, yeah, your body loves to run on fat, but you know, if, if you're going to do aerobic activity, you need to have it run on carbohydrates. So I said, okay, so if I'm not running, I eat fat, but if I want to go running, I need to eat carbohydrates. <sighs> Just take in carbohydrates all the time. But you said fat. You know, I would get into those kinds of arguments all the time. It drove everyone crazy. Why did they have the dichotomy? I don't know. But what I do know is, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, excuse me again, <clears throat> when I got out of football and, you know, started, you know, I got out of football, I gained a lot of weight. I went from 235 um, all the way up to 270, almost 275. And I, I tried to lose weight by doing calorie in, calorie out. I was still in college and I, I started reading these articles and magazines and the whole thing. And none of it made sense. It all flew in the face of what I had learned at Tulane. So what I decided to do was cut out all of the stuff that was meant for energy. And what that meant was cutting out sugars and grains. So I quit having desserts. Uh, the next thing I figured out was don't have any kind of chips. Uh, then, you know, I started looking at rice and pasta and all that kind of stuff. So I started losing weight that way. But then I realized that I did like to ride a bike. I did like to run. So whenever I would ride a bike or I would run, I would eat a big plate of pasta because it was cheap and it was easy to get to. Mm -hmm. And I can also keep pasta in the fridge. And whenever I wanted some, I would literally throw it on a skillet with uh, olive oil and heat it up that way and just gobble it down and then go out for a bike ride. So my thing was always have things with fat and protein when you're not exercising. But when you're exercising, you have to have this stuff because the professor said so. Mm -hmm. When I started my private practice of training people around the same time, by the way, I, um, I decided to put these people, it was mostly housewives in New Orleans, who was not going to give up their goose pate. They just were not. And I, I started telling them, you can have goose pate. You just have to cut out pasta. You have to cut out grains. You have to cut out, you know, you know, you know, rice and bread and the whole thing. And they didn't like to hear that. But once I had success with one or two of them, I became very popular, mm -hmm. you know. And they didn't care how the sausage was made. Mm -hmm. You know, they just wanted it to be on the table ready to eat. And that's what I provided. And that's when I started working with, this is how you get people to lose weight. And when I moved out to Hollywood back in 91, I carried on with that. And by the way, that was a struggle to get people to cross over to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're crazy. What do you want me to eat all day? Mm -hmm. Well, you can eat this. You can have avocados. You can have butter. Oh, butter's going to stop my heart. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with actors, really, they have to be thin to go on, on, on camera. Mm -hmm. So they, they'll start saying to themselves, well, I guess I can live on butter for a while. It won't kill me. So I had ways of getting in and doing it. But I would always tell my athletes, and over the years, I would get more and more athletes. You know, people became triathletes, and it would become marathoning became a thing. And with those people, they would say, well, Vinny, I want you to make me thin, but I, I need to run. Well, okay, now you need to have more car carbohydrates. And that was the, the weird kind of two-faced approach I had. If you were just losing weight, 
are lifting weights, you can eat a lot of fat and a lot of protein. But if you're going to ride a bike or swim or run or do a combination of all three, you need to start sitting down and eating rice and pasta, and you need to eat as much as you can. It wasn't until the leukemia thing that I changed my approach and all of that. And why did that change it? <sighs> you know, it was towards the end of my cancer um, when it looked like I was coming out of the woods and I was going to live. And I said to my, um, my um, oncologist, she's my blood doctor, I said, look, you know, I've been reading a lot of stuff on the internet. And of course, everyone out in California is some kind of new agey. You need to eat like this. You need to do that. You need to get in more greens. And I don't know anyone who can take in more greens than I was already taking in. You know, I, I was having 10 servings of veggies and fruits a day. So I said to my doctor, I said, what is it? And she said, take in more vitamin B, which I do. And, uh, Try to lay off of the sugar. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. There's some correlations between cancer growth and sugar. And I thought about that on the way home and said, I wonder if I can just give up sugar. You know, I love Haagen-Dazs. I love, you know, the occasional confection, whatever it might be. Can I really give that up? And then I started thinking about what I know about grains and how your body turns bread into sugar in your liver. And I said, I wonder if I could give that up. And what about the pasta? And how does that relate to me riding the bike? And by the way, I didn't come home and start that right away. It took me a whole year to like really think about it. And I started reading books by Stephen Finney, who's been doing research on this for years. And, you know, saying, well, he's doing this with athletes. So I wonder if I can do it as an athlete too. And not just in my private practice with non-athletes. And that was kind of the, the paradigm shift of just doing it all the time. And it turns out that it does work. Well, you know, and I'm thinking about like the clients that I work with in, in, um, in weight loss and stuff, and they have that emotional eating co component, right? And I know right. like when, even though they, for a long time I was an emotional eater, but I was a swimmer, so it didn't really matter, right? I was able to keep my weight and be fine. But I remember when I was training, I always kind of had this rule for myself or this guideline that come January, um, I would stop eating. Like my big thing was chocolate, chocolate and ice cream, I think. And I would just stop eating it. And I'd right. go through the season. And once I finished, you know, the NC2As in March, I would go back. Um, and so, you know, we go to conference and the girls would be having, you know, pizookies down at BJ's uh, pizzeria and I wouldn't have any because that was kind of the deal, but it was never from, I was never rooted from a place of deprivation. It was rooted in this place of well being because I wanted to perform at a high level, right? right? Like my goal was to be a national champion. And so these are the things that I was willing to do, just like I was willing to get up at five in the morning. And what I find with my clients is that first I have to get them out of this whole diet mentality. And, you know, you have to eat low fat and you have to, um, uh, you know, what does this food mean to you? And for them, some of them, it's a party in their mouth, right? That's the only happiness right. and joy they can have. And then we can look at the nutritional components of it. Um, but if, if we don't get past those things, there's, they're rooted so much in that deprivation mindset, right? Cause there's been so many dieting that th that action that they take is not going to be long-term sustainable, right? And, and then they fight with it and then they're battling with it. And am I a good person? Am I a bad person? 
Um, but then what, but what happens in this other approach that I take with them, they start to go, huh, I notice if I eat such and such, I'm kind of tired in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, really? Well, how do you want to feel? But it's different for, I think, you know, like I'm a middle-aged woman. It's different for me now than it was when I was 20 and I was a collegiate athlete, right? right? And so, um, and then I think for when you're working with Hollywood actresses, and you can tell me where I'm wrong, Vinny, but, you know, they have a job, right? They have a career. And I think in some ways it can not be easier for them, but it's kind of like being an athlete where you go, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing for the job. And so I'm going to do this. Whereas some of my clients, their food thing can become a struggle, like a power struggle, like you're not the boss of me, or they eat because they're not feeling worthy and they're filling up the hole inside of them with the food. Well, you're right about the actresses. Um, It's exactly like being an athlete and the actors. Um, They have a mortgage to pay Mm -hmm. and being fat is not how they're going to pay it. In most cases, uh, there's a rare actor or actress or celebrity who makes money, as I say, getting fat and then getting thin mm-hmm. again. Uh, Oprah is famous for that. Uh, Kirstie Alley. You know, I could go on and on. Uh, uh, the girl, the Osmond girl, Marie Osmond, mm-hmm. they make money getting fat and then getting thin again. Mm-hmm. And they make millions. But by and large, yeah, they're like athletes. And the emotional eating component is, is a really weird thing. And I, I never feel like I'm Now, I'm now, actually, now, now. It's not weird. It's just it, there's an, oh, it's another component. No, no, I, no, no. I mean weird, <laughs> weird for me because I never feel like I'm the right person to uh-huh. be talking about that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I I get it. I get emotional eating um, mm-hmm. because I deal with it all the time. I just don't have the tools, or I don't pretend to have the tools to know how to fix that. Mm-hmm. And if and if it really is a problem, people should get professional help. And uh, I don't mean going to uh, a dietitian because dietitians will just ramble off the same stuff they've always been rambling off, you know, calorie in, calorie out. I'm talking about talking to a therapist who you can, you know, sit there and say, look, here's what I'm doing. How can I not do this? A therapist or Corinne. (laughs) Or Corinne. Or Corinne. Talk to both of them. She's got two personalities. That sounds like a lifetime movie. She's got two personalities, one name. I think you're trying to get into the voiceover business. On Lifetime. (laughs) Okay, so carry forward. (laughs) You know, emotional eating is its own, you know, thing. Uh, The one thing I do tell clients, and usually this is enough to, to, to step people out of it, and I wrote about it. It meant so much to me. I wrote about it in Fitness Confidential. Um, you know, we're the only species on earth that thinks it's a good day when we don't get enough to eat. You know, <laughs> can, can you imagine a lion going back to a lion's den and sa- saying, hey, cubbies, yeah, I didn't, I didn't kill that zebra today. We're going to all starve. You know, that's a bad day in their life. For us, it's a good day. I was good today. I didn't eat enough. I mean, think about how ludicrous that sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's what we do. I'm being good. I feel hungry right now. And I'm going to make this hunger last as long as I can. And one day I'm going to look like Christy Brinkley. Is she still a thing, by the way? She's still a thing, right? Well, she is to you. Um, I, You know, I don't think so much. But I, I have some stuff to say to that because and I think and this is the area that I work a lot in with women, right? And it goes back to the worthiness. And it's also like recently 
um, there was an article that was published in a regional paper here in town, and it was by um, a sports nutrition or a nutrition professor. And she went on to say that this link of diabetes has nothing to do with the sugar increase or the sugar in beverages. And it's, it's has to do with that. We are not moving, right? We're not, we're not moving and exercise, something like that. And it was a very shaming way to do it. It was like, look, it's not the industry's fault. You're just not doing what it takes. And then there was a disclaimer at the end where it talked about who she was and that she was a paid member, board member of the American Beverage Association. I was going to say, did you follow the money on that one? Because that is the most, I'm saying using the word ludicrous twice in about five minutes, but that's the most ludicrous statement I've ever heard. Uh, I mean, we can actually track type 2 diabetes, which basically did not exist as a disease unless you were an alcoholic. 20 years ago, alcoholics were the only people who had type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Now it's rampant. And it's going to be the disease that's going to probably break our healthcare system further than it's broken right now, if you can tell I'm getting upset. And the bottom line is, you know, it's because we're strapping Cokes around our neck and just sucking this stuff down all day. You know, when I was a kid, I had 70 ounces of Coke per year. And I know that for a fact because I would get a Coke every time my dad would take me to Frank DeNino's barbershop and he had a Coke machine. And Cokes used to be seven ounces. And I'm guessing I got about 10 haircuts a year. That's 70 ounces per year. That's one serving today. Mm-hmm. So you tell me where it all came from. Our problem started whenever Ansel Keys delivered his. BS thing 52 years ago of we need to have more grains, we need to have more sugars, and that should be the basis of the pyramid, and it's been going backwards ever since then. And, you know, when, when these people come out, and whenever I see any of those erroneous statements from the corn industry or the, the, low, uh, the high fructose corn syrup uh, industry of sugar is sugar, sugar is sugar, it's not, it's no, it's sugar is not sugar. It's all bad. You're right about that. But also high fructose corn syrup is one of the things that's causing type two diabetes in this country and in this world. And I'm not wrong about that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you, but it drives me nuts. Well, and I think the big important thing for the listeners is, you know, it is important to always follow the money. Like when you read something like that, follow the money, you know, what does this person have vested into them? Um, and why, you know, why would they be saying this? Um, I, I, we're going to run out of time, which I don't want to do again, but there's a couple things that I want to talk to you about before but we, we did, go. we did get to the subject today, right? We did, but there's, there's more. There's oh, keep more. going. Keep so going. the next thing I want to talk about and is, is about supplements. And, okay. and I know, you know, you're coming out with the supplement. You shared that with us at one of our previous interviews. But I want to talk about supplements because there's a lot of, you know, information out there about taking supplements and, and so on and so forth. And so, Vinny, what do you have to say about supplements? Our supplements are, again, buyer beware. Um, I'll talk about my supplement in a minute and tell you what I found out in the past year. But whenever something sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So if you think you're going to take an amino acid and it's going to change your life, you know, L-arginine is going to is like an anabolic steroid and it's going to make me stronger. And it was proven in some lab. You got to remember, even if they were able to prove it, they proved it by injecting it into someone's veins, not by you ingesting it. Because generally with amino acids and those kinds of supplementations, what happens is, you know, 
once it goes into your stomach, it gets mixed in with every other amino acid and it just goes away. You're literally throwing your money away on most of those. This will make you a better athlete supplements. Um, uh, then there are things like um, 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 monosodium glutamate comes comes to mind. That's another amino acid where people go, oh, you have to take this every time you you work out and it's going to replenish. You know? There's no real science behind all that stuff. Um, I've just spent the past 14 months developing a vitamin. Um, and I know we can't advertise on this, so I'm not going to advertise, but I had one rule. I wanted to make a vitamin that I wanted to take. And I came up with all of this criteria. And I said, you know, I want it to be pure. I don't want it to have any fillers. I don't want it to have any flow agents or any binders or excipients or any of this. Or sand. Or sand, silica. Which, by the way, some people in their vitamins try to say that it's actually silica is a good thing, right? Sand. Now, after, after 14 months of doing this, almost every company said, you're crazy, you can't do it, there's no way, we won't make it, it'll clog up our machines, you have to put excipients, you have to put flow agents, you have to put you know, some fillers because you won't be able to fill up the capsule. I literally came up with, and I'm being told by the company that's making it for me, 99% of every other vitamin has some junk in it. Yours doesn't. So I said, why 99%? Why don't you just say 100%? They said, because there might be some other crazy guy somewhere that's doing the same thing. We're just not aware of it. Uh, we've never seen it done before. We've never done it before. And they did it for me. And um, I, you know, one of, uh, here's one of my favorites, and this drives me nuts. One of the things that they use, uh, almost every company uses this, titanium dioxide. So I wanted to find out why they were putting titanium dioxide in a vitamin. It turns out it will whitewash the vitamin. It will take all the color out and some of the vitamin, by the way. But it takes all of the color out. And then after they get the color out, they replace the color with a caramel color. So they take the color out and add in another color, which is crazy, just to make it look better for you to take. So what are the ingredients that we don't want? We don't want silica. We don't want titanium dioxide. What are the other ones if we're looking at labels that we don't want? God, I wish I had it in front of me. but um, Maybe you can email it to me and I can put it I will. There. I will. I'll get Andy to do it. There's literally, I, I'm, I'm going to use Centrum by name, okay? Just because Centrum is the biggest vitamin in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone can get it for a cheap price. I want to say there's at least 50 or 60 things in the Centrum that's not a vitamin that your body doesn't need. It's a chemical. And if you take the ones like the big names that are like, um, you know, at, at like Whole Foods or GNC or Sprouts or any of the high-end stores. So we're talking like the ones you pay 50 and 60 bucks for. And, you know, you think, oh, these are better. 25, most of them have at least 25 chemicals in them that you don't need. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And we somehow figured out how to make a vitamin with none of that. It was not an easy process, but we did it. All right. Well, I'm excited for that. And it's a multivitamin, right? So it's it's what you would want to take. And it's at a price. Here's the thing. And I've, I've said this before about you, Vinny. But, um, you know, one of the things that uh, reasons that I liked you 
um, beyond some of the the crudeness that you could have on your show was the fact that, you know, you think about your people at home, you think about your roots, right? And, and is this something that you can stand behind, right? When we talked about the infomercials in a previous interview. And so this product that you're creating is something that you would be proud to not only ingest yourself, but also be proud to stand behind for your family members or the people back home in Louisiana to, to purchase themselves. Yeah, that that's absolutely right, and and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, uh, you know, we we we're keeping the price down, and this is crazy. Um, for like a one month supply, it's going to be, you know, ten dollars nine ninety five, and uh, you know, with shipping and handling, which we can't get around, it makes it like fourteen eighty. But if you buy a three month supply, we're able to sell it for twenty four ninety five or something like that. And it's still the same shipping. So you can literally be getting the best vitamin in the world for $10 a month if you buy the three-month supply up front. And, um, you know, we're calling it the Pure Vitamin Club because with me, it's not just about the vitamin. When you join the club, every month we send you one newsletter that's giving you health tips, and there will be one video that will give you health tips. So you're joining a, a really cool club of learning, you know, not just ingesting a vitamin every day, but Pure Vitamin Club is going to give you everything you need. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Vinny, that's it. We've ran out of time. We've done it again? <laughs> yes. How many shows? I don't do this many shows with Anna. <laughs> we did two shows. You do three or four with her in a day. That's oh, at least I hear you guys talking about on your podcast. Oh, we we do we we do them that way. You know, last last Friday, I I did an all time high, seven podcast in one day, wow. back to back to back, and I was either recording my one on one, or um, something with Anna, or the rest of them was other people's shows. Were you done talking after that? I I had a scotch at the end. <laughs> I just drank a scotch. I sat at my desk and Serena says, aren't you going to get up? I said, no, I'm just going to sit here now and have a scotch. <laughs> How did you sit for that long? I, I, I did. You know, that's, it's, it's being an athlete. You know, it's what we do. <laughs> well, Vinny, thank you for being on my show. And I'm glad we were able to finally talk about the topic of fixing one's metabolism, even though that you believe it falls short because people aren't broken. Right. And it's about how can they take care of themselves so that they can have the energy to live their lives. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on again <laughs> and again. All right. I love how Vinny says your metabolism isn't broken. Oftentimes when clients come to me, that's one of the first things that we work on is that they're not broken. Right. We may have flaws. We may have things that have gotten in the way of creating the life we wanted or creating the health that they wanted, but it doesn't mean that they're broken. And, you know, he talks about in the interview about what you can do to correct your diet so that you can start losing weight. And one of the things that I want to bring up that I think is so important is when he talked about the learning how to get rid of sugar, because he's a big, his big platform is NSNG, no sugars, no grain, right? That may be too black and white for people. And he talked about when he first started eliminating it and something his doctor had said to him, right? And it was more from, he didn't want to bring cancer back. It took him about a year. Remember that? He said a year. So if this is something that you're thinking, hey, I want to try, 
then try it. But notice how, don't beat yourself up, right? And that's the thing that I work on with a lot of clients is that they think that success is the straight line. It's the straight curve to the, where their destination is. And it's actually very windy, windy, not whiny. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to test something out. You're going to say, no, I really want this. And then go and have it. And then notice how you feel. It's constantly about checking in. And it's about, I always say, tell all my clients, it's about recalibrating. You know, what feels good? What really tastes good? We have the holidays. So there's going to be a lot of different things out there. And what's really worthy of you? I mean, there are some things that I just won't eat because I don't like it. You know, the idea of it is way better than the reality of it. And what I mean by that is, um, gosh, I used to like my favorite cookie is chocolate chip cookies. And that was my boundary, my parameter. At any time there's a chocolate chip cookie, couldn't pass it up. As I've gotten pickier about or more deliberate about how I eat, there are co- cookies that I will no longer eat, right? Store-bought ones that are made with, um, I don't know, they're very, very sugary. There's not a whole lot of like um, good stuff in there, right? Versus a homemade batch of chocolate chip cookies. So I really pay attention to that. Is it just this high sugar, but there's not really a lot of flavor, but it's that sugar that is going up? Or is it something that really tastes delicious? And so like there's some store-bought ones that I will just not eat. They taste stale, they're hard, they're very sugary to kind of compensate for the lack of um, more expensive quality ingredients. So I'm hoping that that makes sense. And because I think that's really important is about you know, as you go through and you figure out what is the right lifestyle for you when it comes to your weight, when it comes to your activity level is, is to test it out. You know, I'm constantly talking to my clients about go and experiment, you know, go and experiment, test it out and then circle back. Is that how I felt? Right. Did eating that batch of chocolate chip cookies, did I feel better? Is that why I ate it? Right. Looking at what is the driving force? A lot of times with my emotional eating was that was something, that was the only thing that I believed that could, I really had control over. So, so much of my life, it was like, oh, well, this is really horrible or this really sucks or this is not in my control, but I could control what I ate, right? So I would say, well, you know, you deserve that third bowl of ice cream or you deserve to have X amount of food right? Or you had such a hard day, you deserve to have these French fries, whatever it was. Instead of first off checking in, is that something I really wanted? Was that filling the hole that I had inside of me? Because I just really had these holes and I was using food to try to fill it. Chocolate covered almonds. I remember getting off the phone after this very stressful conversation, not having that ability to tune into my emotions and walking straight into the pantry, going for those chocolate covered almonds and just eating them and not even aware that I was eating them. Right. So noticing, and then afterwards, if I were to check in, I would notice I don't feel very good. I feel really tired. I didn't even notice I ate it. So now I feel gypped and I want more. And that was usually why I would have three bowls of ice cream because every time I ate it, I ate it behind my back. So I was never really present and I never really got that satisfaction. I actually never really, I didn't get that satisfaction of eating it. So now when I eat foods, right, whether it's the ice creams or if there's chocolate, I'm very deliberate about it. 
I pay attention to it. I really savor it. I taste it. I'm with it. And and I invite you so that when you go on your journey, right, and improving your health, improving your wellness, right, if you want to lose weight, I invite you to, one, be compassionate, two, test things out and circle back, right? Circle back, evaluate, take a look. Is this really making me feel better? Is this making me feel tired? Is this, you know, solving the problem that I may have? Is that what I'm using the food for? right? Getting really clear about that because those are the things that get in the way. When you start to have an awareness about what gets in the way, that actually becomes um, an opportunity to change that. It's not about knowing how many calories or how many, you know, fat grams or any of that and guilting yourself. It's about knowing the things that get in the way and looking at that and being really honest with yourself of, is that really helping? You know, because the chocolate covered almonds, the French fries, the ice cream, the bags of Doritos, they never filled that hole. It was like quicksand. And then I feel like I was drowning, right? And I was great at beating myself up and it never became effective. Knowing the caloric intake, knowing the fat gram sugar, none of that really helped. But it was when I realized that I was trying to fill holes, when it was uh, joy that I could count on, right? I had a belief that food could make me happy and that was the only thing I could count on. So then it was easier to go to the food than to figure out how to create joy in my life. So those are ways that I work with clients about the emotional eating aspect, right? And and it depends. Like we talked earlier about, uh, you know, where are you rooted? Are you rooted in a place of fear or shame, right? If you try to change your behaviors from that place, it's going to be very difficult. If you try to change your behaviors from a place of being grounded or well-being where you can be that compassionate observer and you can be really empathic to yourself and provide empathy and support, then you can look at that and go, oh, well, this is why I'm doing this, right? I'm not happy and I'm believing that it's going to make me happy. And is it really? Maybe for that moment, but what would really sustainable happiness be? Or what could be longer than the five minutes of happiness from these M&Ms or this chocolate? Those are the kind of questions to ask yourself, right? So when you're making choices, really know where are you rooted? Are you rooted in shame or fear? Or are you rooted in this place of love, self-love or compassion or just being grounded where you're not reacting, but you're making deliberate choices? Let me know how this works for you. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, 
and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.